Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode two, and today we're going to be discussing my journey towards becoming an ultralight hiker. For our gear review, we're going to discuss the second of our big three piece of hiking equipment, and tonight we're going to be looking at the Big Agnes Copper Spur UL2 tent. And finally, we're going to discuss why we should all be doing shakedown hikes, at least on a semi-regular basis. In this first segment, we'll look at uh, my journey towards ultralight hiking. And probably one of the uh, the things that really drove me to try and lighten the amount of weight that I was carrying was a hike that I did uh, approximately two and a half years ago. Um, I uh, was doing a, a, a three-day hike, which was approximately 51 kilometers, uh, but it had quite a lot of sharp inclines and declines. There was a bit of concern about the amount of water that was available, uh, as we had, had had a drought period for quite a while. And... Um, uh, it was uh, it was a matter of sort of trying to work out what gear we really needed to take with us. And at that stage, I suppose I'd still class myself as a traditional hiker, taking quite a lot of things along with me that uh, that I wanted to use rather than I necessarily needed. By the end of this trip, or at the start of this trip, I was actually carrying approximately uh, 19 and a half kilos uh, in my pack, or including my pack weight. Uh, and that did include one kilo worth of camera, which is uh, it's always a, a hard thing to decide what to take there. But um, I, with the amount of steep inclines and declines, I came away from that trip thinking there must be a better way. So I started looking into and researching uh, ultralight hiking. Now, ultralight hiking uh, uh, tends to be something that's associated with all the American long trails. The Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail are just some examples. And um, now an ultralight hiker is someone who carries a base weight of 4.5 kilos or less. And when we're talking about base weight, we're talking about the pack, the sleep system, uh, and the shelter, which is either a tent or a hammock. Now, certainly that's not a lot of weight, uh, but it's... uh, um, and, and it doesn't include all your consumables like food or water, but it's a starting point to work with. Uh, lightweight, uh, if you haven't quite got to that sort of stage, is classed as nine kilos. Uh, and at the moment, uh, the I'm at, at probably at the stage where I'd be considered a, a lightweight hiker. But what I'm trying to aim towards is trying to reduce the amount of weight that I carry uh, and in doing so, uh, let my aging body cope with uh, uh, hiking longer hikes uh, and also uh, uh, hike a bit faster as well. Now, coming away from this trip, um, I started looking at all the gear options that I had uh, and, and, and questioning what I was doing and, and how I was doing things. Now the key concepts of uh, of a lightweight or lightweight or ultralight hiker um, tend to be uh, not that many, but I'll go through and talk about them now. 
So the first one is to select the lightest gear available and that's probably with the proviso that it needs to meet your needs. So that list of gear or the list of the lightest gear available is going to vary depending on whether you're hiking when it's minus 3 or 4 degrees or you're hiking, hiking when it's uh, 30 or 40 degrees during the daytime and not much cooler at night. The second thing to look at is only carry items that you are going to use. Now that trip that I talked about uh, uh, a few minutes ago, uh, I carried a lot of items that I didn't use over that trip. And these aren't items such as a first aid kit which you tend to have to carry uh, as a matter of course, but I carried extra clothing, I carried uh, additional food, uh, I, I carried a, a fairly heavy camera. Um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes time. Um, the third option is to modify your gear as required to minimize the weight. Now for the real purist or the real gramweenies as they're called, uh, this means cutting straps or removing additional compartments if you're not going or if you're not going to be using them. So in the last episode I talked about the Exos Osprey Exos pack and it had a removable pack brain which means that if you didn't use it or didn't need it, you could remove an amount of weight uh, and, and limit the weight that you were actually carrying. I agree with Tim that you should carry what you need to carry, um, not uh, excess things. I've been on uh, trips before and hikes, and uh, I, I guess I measure the success of what I've done by how little... Uh, I didn't actually use so if there's a big pile of things I didn't use I feel a bit disappointed about that if there's a very very small pile of things that I haven't used uh, I feel quite good and I feel that um, you know I've planned and managed uh, the trip pretty well um, the next thing that the ultralight hikers tend to do is um, go through and pack and then repack I've done a fair bit of traveling, both hiking related and otherwise, and I've gotten to the stage now that um, you tend to sort of get all your gear out, you tend, or your clothing out. You think, oh, yep, I'm going to need this, or I'm going to need that particular piece of clothing, or I might want to do this, or I might want to go out. And really, in this sort of situation, you need to consider, are you really going to do that, or is this something you think you might do? So it's it's a matter of trying to go through and work out whether the way you've packed and what you've packed uh, is really necessary uh, or if you could be doing something a bit better. I like to think about it in terms of how many uses can I get out of the one thing. So if I've got a particular item that uh, has a very specific purpose and I can only use it just in case of that purpose arising that's probably not so good but I've got if I've got something else that I can uh, relate or I can um, uh, use in a number of different ways and it might not be perfect um, but you know for example uh, when we were on the Larapenta trail one of the things I did was on a really really hot day I used a buff to shield my arm and tucked it under my uh, t-shirt sleeve and that gave me coverage for my arm. Now I could have packed something else, I could have packed a long sleeve light shirt that I could wear in the sun, 
um, but certainly that buff and particularly when that buff was uh, covered with or, or soaked in water was just a fantastic thing to have on my arm on that particular day. Now the next thing which is, uh, is something I don't necessarily agree with is to make your own equipment. Now the American purists tend to uh, do things like making their own fuel stoves and uh, you'll, you'll be able to go onto the website and do a search for cat food can stoves and, and it is exactly as it sounds. It's a small cat food tin uh, that's been modified to act as a, as a, uh, a liquid fuel stove. Um, apart from being cheap, it's fairly lightweight. Um, the other other thing that people often do make uh, is their own tarps as their as their shelters. Um, tarps are probably a bit easier. They're they're normally just a a, a rectangular or a square piece of fabric. Uh, there's not too much uh, sewing involved. I, I don't think I particularly like to make my own tent. My my sewing skills aren't particularly that good. Uh, but I think uh, there are enough. Uh, mainstream manufacturers now and cottage industry suppliers that are providing lightweight gear that um, have done all the research work uh, and have given you the variety so it's pretty rare that I think you're going to have to make your own equipment. Having said that though if you like making your own gear if it's, it's something that you're interested in um, there are plenty of videos on the web that that will actually go through in detail and show you how to make your own uh, fuel stove if you think that's, that's what you're, you're interested in doing. Now the next thing is the, the concept of need versus want. You really do need to decide if a piece of gear is coming along on a trip because you need it or you really just want it. Uh, now either answer is acceptable but remember that you have to carry it. So going back to that example that I gave uh, uh, at the start of this segment um, I was carrying uh, a fairly heavyweight sort of camera uh, and I must admit this is something I've, that I've struggled with with every trip that I want to do. Um, I prefer to use an SLR, I can get better images out of an SLR, I tend to like taking artistic photos um, and um, I find that the SLRs give me the better option and the better choice but the version of camera that I've got with the lens that I'm using is one kilo or just a bit over two pounds. So it tends to add up as far as the weight's concerned. Um, so deciding whether what particular camera to take really is going to depend on what, what images or what, what sort of photography I'm likely to be doing. Uh, but that in that situation, that's a decision I have to make before I go. First aid gear is probably a, a good example here. I don't think any hiker is likely to go out into the bush without at least a basic first aid equipment. Um, and it's pretty rare that I've, I ever tend to use first aid gear. Uh, it might be um, uh, band-aids or something if I've got a blister um, or a, an ibuprofen or something like that for a headache or sore muscles. But uh, usually um, it's... Uh, it's pretty rare that I'll ever go any more in-depth into a first-aid kit. But just in case I do need to, I've got a, a set of basics there that will cover what I need. The, the last thing that tends to be looked at in relation to ultralight hiking is uh, to document and weigh your gear. Now, the aim here is to make you think about what you're carrying and to think about also to give you the... the the information to decide whether you need to be carrying it. So 
for me, I ended up buying a lightweight scale from one of the camping stores, which a lot of the larger camping stores tend to sell. They're measured in, uh, they'll normally measure in grams or ounces. Uh, they tend to be adjustable to do either. Um, and the term I used before, gram weenie, really applies to those people that, that get to the extent where they're, they're cutting their toothbrush handles in half just to save weight. Um, I must admit, I, I don't think I'll ever get to that, that sort of extreme. But in this situation, a lot of the really, really keen ultralight hikers in the States, even though they're still using the Imperial system, will often measure their, their weight or measure their, their equipment weight in grams because it's easier to get a, a more accurate reading. Uh, by documenting your gear and what it weighs, you can sort of sit down and say, right, uh, my, I need a, a particular size or a, a particular sleeping bag for the trip that I'm going on. I've got a couple of choices or, or I might only have one choice. Um, uh, and certainly from my perspective, my current sleeping bag is just a bit over one kilo. Um, my next bag, which I'll purchase over the next 12 months, uh, I'm looking at getting a bag that will do a similar sort of job, but will weigh around about 780 grams. Um, now, now, that's only not even 300 gram reduction, but when you combine that with uh, all the rest of the equipment and you go through and reduce in size, uh, it tends to make a big difference. Uh, and certainly the uh, the big three, uh, the, the, the sleep system, the tent and the pack, is the three areas where you're going to be able to make the biggest uh, biggest saving on weight I agree with the weighing of the gear I uh, thought I had a good handle on how much my gear weighed I was really quite amazed when um, uh, I I weighed it properly uh, fully my pack fully uh, kitted out and uh, that's when I really started to say, oh, hang on a minute, do I need this and do I need that and do I need something else? Uh, having said that, there are some things that I wouldn't do without um, and, you know, uh, I, w- I won't do without moisturiser and I won't do without a lip balm and uh, some tissues and there are probably a whole range of other things that, you know, uh, I probably could uh, survive without. Uh, and as Tim said, it's okay to choose not to, but be really deliberate and be really uh, confident about what, what you're going to use and what you're not going to use. Now, one of the thing, discussions that tends not to be had when you're uh, talking about ultralight hiking is, um, uh, is more an issue of, um, of the whole concept of ultralight hiking. Now, I fully agree, and that's, that's the direction that I'm actually heading with my own hiking. But I mentioned before the definition of lightweight hiking being a base weight of 9 kilos and ultralight being a base weight of 4.5 kilos. Now, that really doesn't tend to take into account the individual body size of the person we're talking about. So as an example, I'm a, a 6 foot 2 male, uh, weigh, weighing roughly about 95 kilos. Um, if you put me up against a five foot tall female weighing you know, roughly 45 to 50 kilos, this the, the difference in size of the equipment and what they're carrying is going to be very different. So from a straight base weight point of view, it's probably easier for a smaller female uh, on the size of their gear to, to fit into that sort of category. 
Now, this doesn't take into account individual cold tolerances. So uh, females typically tend to feel the cold a bit more. They'll often tend to be wearing or carrying heavier weight sleeping bags uh, and probably using gear that's a bit more, uh, uh, a bit warmer. So they'll pick up a bit of extra weight there. Now, the trip that I mentioned earlier on, uh, when I said I was carrying a 19 and a half kilo pack, uh, Jill was also carrying a 19 and a half kilo pack at that size, but she weighs approximately about 30 kilos less than I do. So for her, the, the amount of weight that she was carrying was much greater in comparison to her size and weight than what I was carrying. Um, my uh, journey to ultralight hiking in the last uh, two years, uh, I've gone from carrying um, approximately around about 20% of my body weight uh, with my pack to um, down to around about 14% of my body weight now. Uh, so again, it's probably for me, it's probably more not so important as about the specific weight of each gear, although that's a, a means to, me uh, to measure what I'm doing. Uh, it's more about how that relates to uh, my size and what I can actually reduce as far as, as how I carry things. Now, I, I tend to not feel the cold that much. Um, for me, a minus four sleeping bag in minus four um, uh, is, is, is overkill. Uh, minus four degrees for me typically means I'll be work carrying a sleeping bag that's rated for two degrees. Um, uh, but in Jill's situation, uh, same area, she's carrying a sleeping bag that, that, that uh, is rated at minus 11. So um, it certainly makes a big difference in, in relation to personal tolerances of cold. I'm going to have to agree with half of what you said there, Tim. Um, you, you know, when you get the basics together, the basics weighs the basics. And if you're hiking um, alone, then you're, no matter how small or large you are, your, your basics are roughly going to be about the same. And I, I think, you know, this is one of these issues around uh, being generous and uh, being accommodating. Uh, you know, I, I don't really let Tim carry anything that uh, I'm not prepared to carry. I generally do carry more weight than he does. Uh, but the result of that means that the the pack that I'm carrying is a higher percentage of my body weight than his. Um, and, you know, we often have that debate. Would I have it any other way? Uh, you know, I don't really want him to carry my things. But if we're sharing, and particularly on those days when we have to carry extra water and, um, you know, there's there's a team effort there, then I don't think there's a problem with him carrying a bit more than what I carry. It certainly doesn't get me, get him to the same percentage uh, body weight uh, by pack that I'm carrying. I think one of the biggest things that uh, ultralight tikers tend to do is not use heavy grade boots. Um, they're either using trail runners or hiking boots. Uh, and I must admit, for me, I do own a pair of heavy grade hiking boots. Uh, and I, I do like them and I do use them, but whenever I can, I'll get away with lighter gear. So generally you'll find that for each one half kilo approximately or one pound of weight on your feet, that's the equivalent of approximately five to six uh, pounds of weight in your pack. 
Um, so unless you're carrying a really heavy pack, going lightweight on the footwear is probably one of the biggest uh, biggest benefits, and it tends to be a bit more comfortable. However, if you are carrying a heavy pack, you do need to tend to, to need a heavier grade boot to protect the feet. This uh, this next segment, uh, we're going to go through and look at the, the, our, the second of our uh, big three and do a gear review on the Big Agnes Copper Spur UL2 tent. Now, Big Agnes is an American company. Um, they're not cheap tents. Uh, they do produce cheaper tents, but uh, typically they tend to be expensive. And the Big Agnes tent is, is one of those sort of tents you would have to say is expensive. The actual the current price, uh, as I'm talking to you now uh, in Australia, um, tent and uh, protective footprint, if you so choose to buy it, is just on $700. Um, so it's, it's not the sort of thing you're going to use if you only sort of camp once a year and, uh, uh, and aren't going to get the benefit out of it. Now, for me, I spent, I do tend to be a, a bit of a researcher, and I, and I spent probably about two or three months researching tents to find out which tent that I actually wanted to use. Um, uh, now, one thing I did discover is most of the tents these days are made for people that are around about six foot in height or smaller. So um, for a lot of the tents I looked at, by the time I put my sleeping bag on, which gives you a bit of extra bulk around the foot area, it means that I was actually going to be having my head and my feet pressing up against the ends of the tent. And this is going to create a bit of condensation, which means my gear is going to get wet and I'm not going to be as comfortable. So I specifically looked for a tent that had a bit of extra length in it. Uh, and that's how I ended up. Um, certainly, uh, that was th really the thing that tended to drive me towards buying the Copper Spur tent. Now, the UL in Copper Spur means ultralight. And this tent, complete with all its bits and pieces, is approximately about 1.5 kilos. Uh, and that was half the weight of the tent that I was actually replacing. The Copper Spur is a freestanding tent, and when you go through and purchase it with the optional footprint, it'll allow you to set it up in a number of different configurations. So you can either use the uh, footprint and the, the fly uh, just as a, as a protection. You can use the tent inner, which is mainly mesh, uh, and... Um, it doesn't have to be used with the fly, but it can be. Oh, sorry, with the uh, the footprint, but it can be. Um, you can use um, uh, the double skin tent, so the uh, the inner and the uh, the fly as well. And this is what we ended up doing on our recent Larapinta trail trip. Now, as a freestanding tent, what this means is you don't need to peg this into the ground unless it is getting a bit windy, or you need to actually stretch the fly out. So it gives you the ability on when you when a hiking platforms are available to actually set the tent up uh, and use the tent on a platform. Uh, now, in uh, the reason you you really want to do this is more not so much from a cold factor point of view because if you're in a shelter you probably don't need it, but it's more from an insect proofing point perspective. Uh, and there, you know, even in the uh, uh, the the early early to mid-spring and the late autumn, you're tending to pick up a lot of mosquitoes in a lot of areas. Uh, so having that ability to, to have something over the top of you, uh, uh, like a, a tent, makes quite a bit of difference. The internal dimension of this tent is 229 centimetres long, uh, and at the head, head end is 132 centimetres wide, 
and the foot end 107 centimetres wide, so it tends to taper down towards the feet. So it does provide plenty of space. So with my six foot two height, I've got room down the end of my feet to put uh, various bits and pieces, and I tend to put a lot, a lot of the small things um, that I want to access relatively quickly um, up the top of my head. So it works quite well. Um, the first time we went through and used this tent um, was uh, uh, was in an area that we'd hike quite regularly. So it's one that we use for a shakedown hike, which hike which we're going to talk about in a few minutes' time. And um, this uh, we'd just gotten to our campsite, we'd set up our tent, and within about twenty minutes of the setting up, we had torrential rain for about a four-hour period and quite strong winds. Um, and this tent kept us very dry. There was no moisture getting into the tent, no condensation. Um, so we were really pleased with the, the purchase and the choice that we'd made. The uh, tent vestibules are big. Um, and the first time I used this tent, I was carrying a 70-litre pack. And the vestibules will, uh, will fit that, that sort of size pack quite comfortably. Um, the tent itself... Uh, as a the copper spur as a two-person tent they actually go through and put a door on each side of the tent so each uh, each individual um, can go through and um, uh, access the tent from their own side I like this tent um, it, it is quite cozy uh, when you get two people inside and two people with large um, sleeping bags uh, having having said that we haven't had any issues with the uh, condensation and uh, the access uh, in and out having your own access is very convenient and uh, it does make a quite a big a, bit of dif dif difference and being able to uh, store you your pack in the vestibule uh, and just the the key bits that you might need overnight in the tent also makes a big difference too uh, so the the night that we had the huge rains and it was huge, uh, we were a little bit worried at first, but first test and uh, this tent passed with flying colours. Now there's quite a few features in this tent. Um, it's got a number of pockets. Um, it's got a number of different configurations, as I mentioned, to setting up. Um, the guy lines are reflective, so it means you're not likely to trip over them during the middle of the night. It's actually a water, it's made of a waterproof material like a, a lot of tents are these days. Um, uh, as a lightweight tent, I suppose one of the disadvantages is if you're rough with your gear, or if you're rough with the tents, you do need to be careful with these. Otherwise, the potential is there to go through and tear. One thing I did find with these tents is um, they're really made to have uh, the door flap near your head as the one being fixed. Uh, and you exit out through the door flap at the base of the, uh, down towards your feet. Um, it's not quite as it's it's almost a a sixty forty split fl split with the uh, the tent flap near the head being the forty percent. Uh, I just found that if I operated it the other way, I tended to get the uh, the tent snagged the zipper on a quite a regular basis. Now I did learn quite quickly that if I just put my finger over the top of the zip, that it would fix this issue but it was something I needed to be careful of. 
So we'll have more details on the website as far as um, uh, all the features and, and, and images so you can give you a bit better idea of what this tent's like. But I can't recommend it highly enough. It really is a very good tent. For our last segment of today's show, we're going to talk about doing a shakedown hike. Now, a shakedown hike is probably the best way to think about it is a trial run. So if you're planning on doing a, a one-week trip where you're carrying all your food for seven days, um, really what you should be doing is a short version and normally just a one-day or an overvite version with all your gear that you're planning on carrying just to see how everything works. For people who hike uh, an overnight camp on a very regular basis, it's probably not so critical unless they've had a, a, a period of time off uh, and they haven't done any hiking for a while or they've changed over their gear and they have a lot of new gear. Now for me, I tend to hike fairly regularly. I tend to be camping fairly regularly. So, uh, But I also do tend to, uh, as I said, I'm in the process of changing over my gear to lighter weight gear. So I need to look at the gear configurations and how I actually do things from a hiking practice point of view rather than I know I can hike and what distances I can cover. Uh, I also know what weights I can comfortably carry as well. For me, it's about being able to check new gear and new processes to make sure everything works and to iron out any bugs or kinks in the system. Yeah, I, I agree, Tim. The, the shakedown is an important part of uh, the preparation that you do. Uh, I would also say that uh, perhaps not be too complacent uh, about your gear. If you're hiking the same trail um, over a number of occasions, uh, don't make an ass assumptions about what you need and um, what, what you don't need. Uh, I, I think sometimes it's good to test some of those things out and test some of those assumptions out. And I go back to what I was saying before about being able to get multiple use out of things. We tend to not to think about the world in that way. Uh, everything tends to have a, a specific use and the idea of improvising, I think, is, is probably a, a long past skill, uh, but something that you need to inject into your hiking. All right, that's all for today's episode. Um, in our next episode, we're going to be looking at trip planning uh, and how you plan for particularly longer trips. And we'll use our recent Larapinta Trail uh, trip as an example of uh, what we looked at for a longer, uh, more involved uh, trip, just to show you what needs to be done. For more information on anything out of today's episode, please go through and visit our website at www.australianhiker.com.au. Uh, visit us on Facebook at Australian Hiker or at Twitter at Aussie Hiker. That's all for now. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, and catch you next time.